This is CliffCentral.com. Hello, hello. Back with me, Ben Kopinski again for The Bounce Show. It's been a great sporting weekend. It's one of those weekends where you just really don't mind being indoors, rain, shine, whatever. There was so much great sport to get into, which of course brings an action-packed show as usual here. So much rugby, there was cricket, there was golf, so much football as well, and uh, stories are plenty. We've got Keith Moore this week. He is talking rugby with us. Keith is based in the UK and uh, one of my favorite rugby people, always very insightful, very passionate about it. I think he's also a Sharks fan deep down, so we'll probe him on that as well. And of course, what's happening in the Six Nations. Then we've got Daniel Gallen, of course, we're here with the Conquer Sport f- uh, feature, how fan engagement and brand equity drives on-field performance. It's a really good topic we have this week because we've just had the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, or basically Beyonce twerking and everything else, etc. to that. So those are your topics we look into today. If you've got anything you want to share with us during the show, of course, you're welcome to do so if you are listening live. If you listen to podcasts of this, well, then obviously it's not going to be live and I'm not going to read your messages. But if you go onto WeChat, cliffcentral.com, that's our profile here. Get onto that. Send me a message. It'll come up onto the screen here. Alternatively, just tweet me at follow the bounce and anything you want to chat about over and above all the things we've got here right now this for this week. Feel free to share or give us a call. Um, forgot the number, but uh, Duncan, the producer, will be back shortly and he'll fill in with all those things. Right. I suppose we should just get into it. Huh? There was so much to get through. So, so much. But first, I want to talk about uh, this little interview. You've got to love how sports stars are expected. Even though they've just lost a game or they've done something that hasn't gone so well, they're expected to get in front of the press and they've got to ask answer stupid questions and basically humor it. Here's Cam Newton. He's just lost the Super Bowl. Ron said Denver two years ago had a tough time. They bounced back. Uh, you take that to heart when he told you after No. Can you put a finger on what, uh, why Carolina did not play the way it normally plays? Got outplayed. Is there a reason why? Got outplayed, bro. Is there anything Denver did defensively that, I mean, I know you've seen them, studied them, was it pretty much what you had seen on film? Was there anything different you think they put in for this game? Nothing different. Cam, do we sometimes, I mean, I know football players don't forget, do we, do we sometimes forget that defenses can still take apart any offense in this game? Evan Mathis at podium 14. No. He told us a lot of things. Anything in particular that's memorable? Nope. Obviously, you're disappointed. You've won tremendous games before, and I know you've had some tough losses, too. I mean, since it's on the biggest stage, it's difficult, I know. Can you put into words the disappointment that you feel? Did you see anything that you didn't expect today? They just played better than us. I don't know what you want me to say. Like, they made better, more plays than us, and that's what it come down to. I mean, we had our opportunities. It wasn't nothing special that they did. We dropped balls. We turned the ball over. Gave up sacks. We threw errant passes. And that's it. They scored more points than Can you put into words the disappointment you feel right now? We lost. No. Did Bill change anything defensively to take away your running lanes? No. I know you're disappointed not just for yourself but your teammates because you guys talked about how you are a band of brothers coming in. Uh, and it's got to be real tough for everybody in a lot of people. Lowe's Lock, Fort John throw the ball. You throw the football. That was game plan. Lowe's Lock, one on one. And then he just walks out. There's a poor dude, he's sitting there. If you go into YouTube, just type in Cam Newton Super Bowl 50. And uh, he's sitting there, and he's dejected, okay? So the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, they were the favorites to win Super Bowl 50. They were playing the Denver Broncos. 
I mind the Denver Broncos because that team went through uh, Eric Cartman's mother back in the 60s. Anyway, so he's sitting there and he's just got nothing for these people, but they keep asking him the stupidest of questions over and over. It's something that I think, it's something in sport that I think is an absolute waste of time. I think every team should have a, sp- a spokesperson because then they can actually like assemble notes throughout the game. And if press really want to get something, they've got this dude. He'll actually address them. But you can't just, I mean, you heard them. They were just lambasting this guy with open-ended shitty questions like, can you put into words how you feel right now? What difference does it make? How is that going to make a story? What's the guy going to say? Well, you know, this game is basically that last straw. I'm now going to go commit suicide. Like, what are they expecting this poor guy to say? So that was Super Bowl 50. Now, everybody should know about this. That's what I don't get in this country here in South Africa. Nobody ever watches these games. But when Super Bowl 50 or Super Bowl final comes around, the Super Bowl, obviously, uh, and they all want to know what's happening in the, in the game. But ugh, if you don't watch the teams, how can you really be excited or invested in it? Anyway, people love to talk about things that are going viral. So if you've just got into this right now, the Panthers lost. They were the favorites, but they lost. And the Denver Broncos on other champions, but essentially only people, any person that really mattered was Beyonce. That was Super Bowl. So now that we've addressed that wholeheartedly, we can now move on to big and more pressing things in sport, and that is the Proteas go 2-0 down against England. <sighs> Let's just all take a big sigh. Let's take a big sigh. <sighs> is the test team, well, the test team obviously went down in the, in the series, but is the ODI team going the same way? Panic stations, is it too early? Well, let's just balance this quickly. In Bloemfontein, we put them into, well, they put themselves into bat. They scored 399. Our bowlers were taken to pieces right from the first over. Okay, not good. Not good at all. But our batsmen were right on level par with where they were in their innings. And it wasn't for the rain and the Duckworth Lewis. I believe we still could have won that because Quinton O'Cock was 130-something not out at the crease. We still had batsmen that could take us on and get the rest of the runs. But it didn't happen, so we don't have a result to draw upon there. So we go to PE, and now it's the same old problems. Our bowlers are just not pulling their weight. And uh, I didn't think it was a terrible total by the pro tiers. Maybe, maybe, maybe 20, 20 runs short. Can't really, you know, go on too much about that. But it's a kind of slow pitch. You need to be quite crafty in how you bowl there. But still, our bowlers are not good. This big fifth bowler combination, right? So we've got... For some reason, um, and let's try not be cynical here. Let's just let's try to keep this in the cricketing cricketing sense only. Fahad Behadin, okay, he um, he was in the World Cup squad, and he definitely has played a few cameos here and there. But even if he plays his best, I don't think this is the kind of guy we should be taking forward with this team. We need guys who are going to fill whatever Lance Klusner did back in the day. We need guys that can really do something that if the team's in a bit of strife, they can right the ship and bring it together. Or if the team's doing really well, then they can add that sort of killer blow. I don't see him doing that with the bats. And when it comes to the ball, he's referred to as a bonus bowler. People were talking about how they just want to get, they just want to get rid of a couple of overs so they'll bring him on. That's no way to play cricket at this level. And we're going to keep being found out if we keep going with the strategy. Dumini scored some runs, which is really good. It was good for him. He scored 47, I think it was. But again, you can't say that he is going to be a bowling option. Imran Tahir just had a bad day. I think if you look at the stats in the last two years, Tahir's actually been one of our better bowlers. You wouldn't think it. If you if, if Saturday's match was the first time you saw Tahir bowl, you would think that the guy was either drunk or he just generally does throw pies. I mean, he was all over the place. They didn't quite score from as prodigiously as they should. I mean, he almost got hails out with the first ball full toss. But still, the 20 overs that Dumini, Berardin, and Tahir combined for was naught for 128. Compare that to Rashid and Ali, who bowled 20 overs for England, one for 84. Well, look, there's the there's the 40 runs. There's the 44 runs that we we sort of probably lost by if Butler and Ali had kept batting at the end. So they have to address this. But the question is, how do you address this? What are the what are the solutions? Where if you take Berardin out, okay, who comes in? Do you just bring in Morris and say, right, Morris, you're going to be the all-rounder. But if that's the case, don't open the bowling with him. Use his overs wisely. Get him in the middle of the game. Do something that really makes him know that he's got a future in this team. Because he's pretty handy with the bat. I would definitely put him ahead um, of Bayardin because, again, he might just go run the ball probably best. Because the, the batting lineup needs something at 7 or eight, seven and 8, sorry, because you've got to bat all the way down. You really do. There's no other other way of playing one-day cricket. It's one thing having a really great top five, but there's about an 80% chance that at some stage there'll be a failure there. 
So they can't all fire at the same time. We need a batsman at seven and eight. We need proper all-rounders. And we need to actually make it happen now. It's all this umming and ahhing and praising Jacques Cullis for his great figures and how what an amazing asset he was to this team. But there needs to be that next step. And this one is not working, so there has to be some changes. The, the approach is they have to see this. They, you know, this, this, this series alone might already be gone. Okay, we might have returned down. So the next three matches, you've got to think England's going to win at least one of those. It's worrying times, it really is. It's worrying times. But then again, the Test Series ended off with a flourish, and Proteus did win that last match, which gave us some hope. But even if we win the last match here, oh, these are the next two, I don't know. I'm not exactly filled with confidence here. I really am not. In rugby, though, that was a great weekend of rugby. New Zealand uh, lost the ability to count. Now, I know this might sound like sour grapes, but I, I don't really care. New Zealand have always been those guys who push the push the rules, so to speak. But in this last-minute try, which I'm about to play you now, there was eight men on the field. Eight, not seven, eight. Now Sonny Bill Williams. Pick and go down the short side. He flicks it out the back. Not a good pass, but the bounce sits up okay. And Ioani gives it over to Savia. And now Mickelson! Mickelson, man on the inside. That's what they can do to you. Try after the hooter to Adi Savia. Kick to come from right in front. So I'm no mathematician, but if you watch that clip, there's four guys who basically sit the ball up down the left. And then uh, they get the ball back and then they throw it to the right. And then there's four other guys. Now, four plus four equals eight. Now, New Zealand, I know you've had a tough time in sevens with injuries and stuff, but there's no excuse to now put another player on. That is just pulling the piss. And there's got to be fines here. There's got to be something. There's got to be some sort of action. I'm so tired of these guys getting away with so much. Oh, oh, I know it sounds bitter because the Blitzbox didn't go on and do anything particularly good in this tournament. They lost to the Aussies in the semis, and then they got ploughed by Fiji in the third and fourth playoff. Now, New Zealand did the exact same thing to Australia in the final, albeit with seven people this time around, so they did win the trophy. And uh, look, they're a great side. They don't need to do any other stupid little things on the side. But there has to be some sort of ramifications from putting eight people on. This is the professional era. This isn't high school. This isn't a guy holding the drinks tray. All eight of those guys were playing, and they wanted to score a try, and they were doing everything they could to get the team across. So it's it's bollocks, and someone needs to take us down right now. Now, we've got a decent rugby feature coming in in about three, four minutes, chatting to Keith Moore, and uh, so we don't go too much more into the Six Nations here. We'll rather pick it up with him. Football, though. Wow, what a weekend for local, or local and uh, English league football. Sundowns, now, let's just start with them. According to Joe Cran from Soccer Laduma uh, magazine, he's been stating some pretty cool stats as far as how good the Sundowns team is right now. Now, the they are ahead in the league. They are now, well, they have been top for quite a while now, but they've actually grown a bit of a, a bigger lead because Black Aces lost over the weekend. No, they didn't lose, sorry. They drew with Celtic. Well, you got to think it's maybe as good as, <laughs> as bad as a loss. Uh, with Fitz beating Arrows 1-0, they go up to second. Black Aces at third. Chiefs on fourth after beating Marysburg 3-2 and the Platinum Stars after a great 3-0 win of Apollo Kwani round of the top five. But let me just try find these tweets here. A uh, bit of a slow phone right now. Um, oh, crap. Anyway, so they need, I think, uh, 21 goals in the next 12 matches, and then that will mean they have the highest scoring rate in the PSL this year, which is really cool to think that there's still some great things to watch locally in football. I know we've become quite, um, what do you call it, cynical, but downhearted about the the performances of our local teams. But the Sundowns are doing great things at the moment, and you should definitely get behind the league as it gets into the final stages. Here we go. Sundowns are averaging 1.94 goals this season, which is great, because sometimes these teams win, but they're kind of you know scraping 1-0 wins here and there. So 21 goals in the last 12. If they do that, then they eclipse uh, Kaiser Chiefs' record of 58, uh, sorry, 57 goals in the season. So good for you, Sundowns. Keep it going. But more importantly, when you think of fan numbers and interest right now, it's the English Premier League. And Leicester are just going from strength to strength. A 3-1 hiding of Man City. And that was at the Man City ground. Isn't something that anybody would have predicted at the beginning of this year. You would see Leicester on top. But not only that, it's Leicester, then Spurs, then Arsenal. Oh, can they hold on? It's a, it's a tiring question because your head says to you, you know what? They probably won't. They're going to slip up. 
the situation is going to become too big for them. Uh, they'll get an injury. Key striker won't be formed, but they just keep looking good. Like they really, if you, again, getting back to, if you just start watching sport, you watch Leicester over the weekend, you'll go, wow, these guys are amazing. How many titles have they won? Um, it's, it's kind of like that Blackburn story again in the sort of early nineties. They just came out of nowhere and they won the league and they could be the Blackburn of our era. Spurs as well are doing so great. So to think that those two teams, they should be able to hold on to this momentum to at the very least get into Europe. Uh, and lucky for Man United fans, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> un- un- unhappy fans there. But this Leicester story is such a great story and successful story. And we interesting to touch on with uh, Dan at the sort of half hour, next half hour of the show of how as a team, they just somehow have gotten together. They look to be a proper proper brand at the moment they've got good sponsors behind them they've got a great unit and how their off-field success is maybe actually helping this on-field success because all we see with Leicester at the moment is that they're doing really well as a team but there could be something else happening off the field that's really galvanizing these guys so that's something to really look out for uh finally with the headlines let's get into a bit of golf Danny Willett he won in Dubai just kind of a, it's a big deal on the European tour. If you win the Dubai Desert Classic, you're sending a massive, massive uh, statement out to the rest of your opponents. And of course, Ryder Cup here, it was a star-studded event because these big events carry huge amounts of points. So if you're winning events like this, your chances of getting a Ryder Cup are really, really good. But probably the more entertaining of the golf in the weekend came from the Waste Management Phoenix Mouthful Open. Now, this is a huge tournament that, that gets at the biggest crowd in golf by not just a few thousands, more like tens and hundreds of thousands. More people through the gates here than anywhere else, and 30,000 of which are around just one hole. That is the famed 16th. But it was the 17th that had the biggest drama of the weekend because Ricky Fowler had a two-shot lead in the last round on the 14th hole. He ended up going down, the 17th kind of burnt him. And then he got into a four-hole playoff with Hideki Matsuyama, Fowler again, pinning his tee shot into the water in 17. Matsuyama with the title. And it was a really, really great playoff. But something that was making people talk a hell of a lot, just players for getting into Keith, was the 16th hole that has all these people around it. Like, Tiger Woods got a hole in one there, I think back in 96. Uh, and now, this year, a robot by the same name, albeit his original one, Eldrick, was set up on the tee, and he did this. How about this? Yesterday, a robot taking a swipe at this david and what else would you expect here at the waste management phoenix open really that robot is called l drick how's this and both l dricks have done that at 16 about that and if you oh, set a robot up he took a swing with this club and the robot got a holy one on one of the most famous par threes in the world it's such a cool thing to see so go onto youtube robot makes holy one at 16 at tbc scottsdale incredible because even if it is an exact swing you've still got to take in consideration the temperature you still got to take consideration there's going to be a a wind somewhere and you don't know where this ball is going to land and how it's going to take the slope so there's never a scientific like perfect result for a hole in one but hey eldrick the robot got it duncan do we have keith on the line here not yet you can give him a call okay well as duncan tries to ready himself for that i shall get the right knobs up Okay, that's Skype over there. So yeah, Six Nations from the weekend. It all kicked off. And uh, England are kind of the favorites for this. They're odds on in the bookies. They're looking good to win. But then Wales, you've got to look at them. They're quite nice and settled. They've got the coach and captain from the previous years. Good side. Dan Bigger, the fly half. They did really well in the World Cup when you think that they had a huge injury list, but they still managed to hang on and get some decent results, only to be outlasted by the Springboks. And then you've got Ireland. Ireland are the double defending champs. And then the other three are just, in my mind, making up the numbers here. It's a three-horse race this weekend, and I wasn't to be proven wrong off the bat. Those are the three teams that did well over the weekend. The only three teams that didn't lose. England beating Scotland in a quite a dour affair. At 15-9, they won that one. Uh, France beat Italy 23-21, came from behind to kind of get that one back. And then the big game for the weekend was a 16-all draw between Wales and Ireland. Keith, you with us? I am, Ben. How's it going? Fantastic, man. Always good to hear from you. Now, Six Nations is, I think, the big talking point right now. And I think for the first time in my rugby life, I'll be, I'll be, yeah, I'll be open enough to admit I'm more excited about this than I am about Super Rugby. How are things, how are things that part of the world right now are in Six Nations? Yeah, I think uh, everyone's pretty excited, mostly because they're trying to get rid of the demons of the World Cup. Exactly. So, yeah, everyone's, everyone seems to be pretty, uh, pretty happy that it's back in. And, uh, yeah, there seems to be quite a lot of build-up. Okay. Uh, would you, would it be fair to say England are kind of the favorites going into this one? What's your view on that? 
Um, I, I don't think so. I think Wales probably has the most settled squad. Uh, they, for me, are probably the most threatening side at the moment. Um, I, I think England under Eddie Jones are gonna they are gonna start causing a lot of trouble, but I don't think it'll be as soon as this now. I think it's a bit too soon. He's only had two weeks with the squad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, only sort of just edged past Scotland. And, and I think it'll take a bit of time. Eddie's going to do some good things with England, but uh, I think for this championship, it might be a bit too soon for them. Yeah, that was my feelings too. But then I looked at what the bookies were giving them, and England were right up there. But, yeah, like, I agree. I think Wales are a more settled team. But this Dan Bigger going off, I mean, he ran on with quite a strapped ankle. Is he an injury concern for the rest of the tournament? Uh, probably. I don't think there's been any official word, but yeah, I think from the Welsh point of view, he looked uncomfortable from the first minute. Um, and you never know with a player as important as that, whether they're taking him off as a precaution or not. Um, but I mean, they would have been pretty encouraged by the way Priestland ran the show afterwards. Um, you know, I think they've got a little bit of depth there, not as much as other nations, but they've got a few guys there and Priestland playing pretty well for Bath here and there. So, um, yeah, look, obviously not an ideal start to have bigger art and, and, you know, time will tell how long that's going to be, but um, I'm still backing them. I still think with their entire side and with Priestland there, they could still sort of do some damage. Yeah, I was most impressed with Priestland because he isn't the first choice at his club. He hasn't played a hell of a lot of rugby, and it was a massive pressure situation to come in. Of course, he's kicking as well, so a huge VMT he showed there. But the thing about Wales is, okay, so they've had this game, and now they've also got England at Twickenham. So schedule-wise, they've got quite a toughie considering the fact that it's really about these three teams, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, sports are funny thing. As you know, you love your cricket and, and momentum's everything. When when Ireland were 13-0 up, they would have probably not really been that excited with a draw. Wales would have been happy, but Wales finished the stronger of the two. I, I think going away to Dublin's always tough, even though Ireland aren't at their best at the moment. They are defending champions, and it's not an easy place to go. Beating England at Twickenham, they did it at the World Cup, but it's going to be that much harder now. I think um, under Eddie Jones, it's going to be a lot more intelligent play from England that they had under Lancaster. So, yeah, I can't see it going past those three teams. And if Wales beating England at Twickenham, they certainly are sort of in the pound seats to complete this one. Yeah, exactly. I think France is just what we've, we've all kind of known in the last few years. They're on a downward spiral. And it's not like they can have that one game where they blow someone away. It looks like in years to come, they, sh- they should get a special trophy for the France-Italy game because it's becoming <laughs> one hell of a derby. I mean, it really is. It's very exciting rugby. It, I mean, Scotland will be delighted to not have to be competing with Italy at the bottom of the table anymore. Yeah, I just, I feel for French rugby. They've got such loyal fans and passionate fans, but, you know, they, again, they momentum and sport. France would have been relieved with that when more so because they were eight points down and looking, staring down the barrel they of really a, a loss to Italy. So, you know, there was a couple of things there that impressed, but, Overall, you know, the, the the French seem to only come up with their game plan 40 minutes before kickoff, and it, it astounds me that their coaches live as long as they do, given the amount of pressure they're under. But uh, I, I can't see things getting better. The way the top 14 is going, the amount of foreigners they got in there, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And despite the fact that they know that not much has been done about it, yeah, it's uh, it's even worth talking about because the writing is on the wall, and they don't seem to care. Like like uh, other teams will have like a bit of a press conference going, you know, we need to address this and that, and they're just like, oh well. But uh, just just getting on to, getting on to Ireland though, because if you haven't watched the Hell of Six Nations or Northern Hemisphere rugby, is it in general? They've won the last two times, but you know they were quite well hyped going into the World Cup, and they got absolutely blown away by Argentina. They've got a new uh, a new captain. Um, their star player is South African. Um, Sexton, obviously, there's so much pressure on him. But my concern is that when you watch these guys, they don't seem to know how to score tries. They, they can definitely build pressure, and they definitely put Wales in a huge amount of pressure. I mean, they were 13-0 up in probably as many, as many minutes. But is that, is that a worry for them, the ability to just create scoring opportunities? Yeah, I, I'd say absolutely. They, they do play the basics really well. They're one of those sides. Joe Schmidt, um, he's never been one to employ the sort of more charismatic players. He loves reliable players, players who put in their shift and work hard. Um, and yeah, I think the Ireland, as a result, they do miss out. Schmidt had promised leading up to the World Cup that he was building on that game plan. But um, as as we saw with the Springboks, same sort of thing, sort of referred to plan A once the pressure came on. And and you're right, you know, it, it is good when it works. If you're in the right, if you're playing rugby in the right areas and yeah. you're playing teams that are under pressure, it's great because you you will get those three pointers and Sexton really misses. But when teams don't feel that pressure or when they're happy to run the ball out of their own twenty-two, 
there is no plan B and that that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. So from your from Ireland's point of view, even when they've won the championship, they haven't scored many tries, but that won't last very long the way guys are sort of running the ball these days. And, and yeah, I, I would say it absolutely needs to be something they need to address if they want to evolve as a side. Okay, well, um, just the last touch on that Six Nations. The uh, big story here, obviously, is CJ Stunder goes over there, becomes Irish, uh, man of the match performance. You know, there's something about South Africans that, like, a guy has a great curry cup and everyone's saying he must be in the box, you know. So if a guy has a great test match for another country, they're saying, oh, what a loss. So, I mean, let's just quick chat about this whole he was too small thing. Because, like, the general consensus is that somebody, a.k.a. maybe Hanukkah said to him, maybe you are too small to play number eight, so how about moving to hooker? Do you think that, like, it's a Southern Hemisphere kind of thing? Like, you need to be bigger because of the the ball-carrying conditions that we play in, and therefore you can go to the normal Hemisphere and, and shine because it's a tighter, slower game? Or is that just complete bullshit? Um, I was possibly the latter. I've ne- I've never enjoyed South Africa's obsession with size, and and to, to frankly to tell a player that he's just not big enough despite being talented is is really just short sighted. It just we just missing out on a good player, and he's certainly not the only one who was asked to move from flank to hooker or from loose forward to hooker because we had l- many of them that went through. And yeah, I mean, I, I just think I don't think the Aussies are particularly obsessed with size. Um, you know, they're if you look at their loose forwards, Hooper mm. and Pocock, they're more concerned about the breakdown. They're both Formal short guys. Cutting. They're not line-out options. Yeah. Um, but in South Africa, particularly, if you look at the way we play our rugby, it's all just huge loose forwards. And look, I'm not saying it never works, but I think we do lose a lot by saying to a player from the outset, doesn't matter how good you are, you're never going to be in the team because of something you absolutely cannot change about yourself, which is your height. Um, so yeah, he showed over the weekend what he's capable of. He was also, I believe, Munster Player of the Year, the first non-Irishman to win it. Yeah. So I mean, he's creating some huge waves over here, and it just seems. You know, on the one hand, you can say, well, South Africa doesn't really, we we don't really struggle for flanks. But on the other hand, to be told something flat out there, you're not going to get a chance just because of one thing is is as I said, it's a bit short sighted and, and he's showing now that we maybe missed out on something there. Yeah, I, I think it's just a relic of, of days gone by. It's complacency too. It's like, oh we don't we don't have to worry about flanks. They're all six foot five, eat like yeah. a, eat like a ton of meat a day. And uh yeah, they're they're great. It's like complacency. It's never crafted the art, and I think it's great to see loose forward play. Like one thing I do like about the Northern Hemisphere game, although it is a little bit slower. Obviously, the pitches don't help a lot, but just the way these loose trios work as a unit. I mean, obviously Wales, they've had a, a quite a gnarly bunch of guys there for quite a while now, and to see Ireland and and how a game can be bossed around the breakdown, it's it's one for the purists, perhaps. You know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of scrums, so maybe the breakdown is my <laughs> my take of a scrum. Yeah. Keith, I, I want to yeah, touch you. Sorry, I just want to chat to you quickly about Super Rugby before I've got to let you go. Um, okay. I know it's it's something that maybe you're not as, as close to. I mean, you're a Sharks fan deep down, right? <laughs> oh, to my very cool. <laughs> to your very cool. Um, any chance that this, this year is going to be better for them? I know we just, they just lost Lambie for six weeks and he was meant to be the captain. Yeah, probably an indication that it won't be. Um, Define better. I think, I think hopefully we'll have a better season, sure, but... Uh, looking at that squad, it's um, you'd have to say it's, it would be a surprise if they did really well this season. And I think, again, just like with England, I do think they're assembling a, a good, talented bunch of guys. But maybe a season too soon for us to do anything. Um, it, it it looks like there's a lot of young uh, players coming through. The Dupree brothers look pretty handy. Um, but yeah, I, I would say probably a season too soon for us, maybe too. But uh, with South African derbies and the, and the way it's structured at the moment, you know that sort of does swing it. And and those, as we all know, the cliche goes, could go either way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, look, I'm still backing the guys, and I'm hoping for a good season. But I'm probably a bit more patient in my old age than I used to be. What's Paul Jordan been on? Has he eaten PSPs? I don't know, but I'd like to know the secret. Maybe CJ Thunder would have. Uh, benefited from hearing from him but you know he looks like he's going to be a great impact player for us uh in, in literal terms but um you know i always rated his abilities so i don't know we'll, we'll see what happens with him but uh the yeah, beast at the moment yeah no he's huge but, but sharks aside though what's your take on this new conference thing you know you've you've been exposed to, you know in in your line of work you know ins and outs of all things rugby do you think there really is longevity with this new conference system no, I think quite the opposite. I think that just it, it's just looking worse and worse. It looks desperate from the outside. 
Um, and to be quite honest, you know, it's, it's a struggle to understand when you don't actually live in the live and breathe in the country that it's being played in. So, you know, I, I just think Super Rugby worked, and maybe they needed to do some things to it. But if anything, that needs to be a shorter season, not a longer one. And you know, for a casual rugby fan's point of view, we, we just had really comical situations where no one knew who was on top of a conference because some teams were two games behind and some were four ahead and. Mm. It just becomes incredibly difficult to understand. And if you're trying to attract the casual fan to watch, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm not at all a fan of them with this constant sort of two-year cycle of trying to shake things up and truly just try and make things as complicated as they possibly can when the simple home and away or whatever or just one game per per team per season was working just fine and uh, yeah I'm definitely not a fan of the system and the the way it's set up at the moment well Keith maybe this is a conversation for another time but I believe after the the Olympics if all the sevens players can survive and not get Zika I reckon sevens (laughs) is going to actually start eating into the 15-man game I really do there's something about this that's not capturing the imagination of audiences and as you say people just haven't got the time or inclination to be so engaged in something so convoluted and bloated. So I'll, I'll leave you with that thought, and maybe we can dwell on that and pick it up at some other stage. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Keith. If you want to follow Keith on Twitter, it's uh, it's A Keith Moore. So it's A K E I T H M O R E. Keith is a very interesting and insightful rugby man. And while we queue up our advert for the day, I can say that we're going to come back with even more insightful discussion. Duncan, thank you much. CliffCentral.com It's date night, and your wife wants you to bring Ray to bed with you. Hmm? You suggested Tyrion, or maybe even Sheldon if she fancied something a little different. But no, Ray Donovan it is. So you get your tablet and you meet her in the bedroom. Because with Showmax for 99 Rand a month, you get to watch full seasons of the biggest series. On the couch, in the kitchen, in bed. Online anytime. So get to Showmax.com and get your seven-day free trial. This is Cliff Central. This is CliffCentral.com. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, it's going to the final stage of the show now where we chat with Daniel Gallen from Conquer Sport. But first, to messages. Black Box, I'm not ignoring you. I'm sorry. The, the show goes so quick. You've got to put yourself in my position every now and again. So we start a topic and then we get going and then we have a little message section. So let's in future make 35 past 10. Or this way, this stage of the show, message time. Right. So, um, do you want me to quiz Russell Domingo? I'm fully, I'm all for this. Uh, you believe that Centurion has the most lax security and I can get in and, and grill him. Now, you know what, Black Box? I don't have uh, media accreditation. Cricket Africa will never give me something like this. Um, I don't blow the right sort of trumpet, I guess. I can try. Uh, I can definitely give it a go. Um, but don't hold your hopes too high. Like, there's certain questions I would love to ask him. I, I feel just like you. I don't think he's the right man for the job. Uh, I know he's got Neil McKenzie now. He's now the batting consultant to kind of take the team forward. But there's just too much cluelessness, I think. There's just too many areas where this team doesn't seem to have an answer. It's one thing if it doesn't perform, that's sport, that's natural. But when there's no plan B or the plan A was so bad it looked like a plan B, then I agree with you. I, I think he's out of his depth and probably must go. And then another message about Cheslin Colby moving the scrum off. Ah, uh, cuck idea. Cheslin Colby needs space. He's, people keep going about his size, but if you put him at scrum off, he's not going to get the opportunities. Australia tried Matt Gitto at scrum off for a while. Well, I think two, three matches. It didn't quite work. Um, I know Aaron Smith is seen as a similar player to Cheslin Colby, but it's not. You know, like Colby, he's got, he's all heart. He's got pace. He can see gaps. He needs space. And I think that's really the, the key for this guy. Whether or not he can grow another foot and add another 10 kilograms and make the spring box. Yeah. Who cares? I just think he's a good player and he should be seen for what he is. But enough about that. Uh, microphone three is you, Dan. Hello. Yes. Well, I'm getting so good at this. I know where everyone sits, everyone talks about. Right. What do we got for this week? Alrighty. So, um, this latest article is all about how fan engagement and positive brand equity um, can drive on-field performance. And it's, it's success is so multifaceted and, and there's so many variables and... Hold up. Sorry, carry on. Uh, okay. Success is so multifaceted and there's so many variables that, that, that constitute success. So it's quite interesting to look at one that, that you wouldn't necessarily think has a direct impact on performance, but... When you break it down, it, it's it's such a key component, and it's no coincidence that all the best teams on the planet 
um, have great brand equity and great fan engagement? Well, look, there's various things that I can try um, compliment that statement with. EP Kings, they don't pay the players. Nobody sure. wants to get involved with that. They're going to languish uh, wherever the bottom of this thing is. They might not stay in competition. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Right. Then let me just read to you the top 10 richest clubs, teams in the world, right? Okay. And maybe if we go through, you can touch on a few things here. Now, as Dan was saying, when it's a good business and everything's going right, this on-field success will just follow. It's just as simple as that. Dallas Cowboys are the richest team in the whole world. Okay. Now they weren't in the Super Bowl, but they're, they're there, they're about, they're, I don't know. They make so much money out of like that. They've got a stadium which they fill with like 100,000 people. Look at Real Madrid, right? They're the second most uh, richest team. Then you've got the New York Yankees, the New England Patriots. Now these American sports come into this and this proves your point, Dan. I mean, these guys really do. They flesh out the entire business of it all. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to get into another American football team now, which is a much better reference about this. But, uh, you've got, they just understand entertainment and they want to get their fans in. They want the fans to be real stakeholders. They want to be immersed in the whole experience. And that's why they keep coming back and investing in the team. So there's money. Barcelona's FC Barcelona, the football team is at fifth. Manchester United sixth. The Washington Redskins are in seventh. The New York Giants in eighth. San Francisco 49ers in ninth. LA Lakers, they're getting killed right now in the NBA, but they're 10th joint with the New York Jets. Now, the reason I wanted to read this out is because the Americans get it. They mm. seem to get it more than any other country. I know they've got the numbers and they've got the population, but they just get what you're talking about right now. And and I think why that is is because whoever whoever's running the brand engagement and rather fan engagement and brand equity side of the business for these sports realize that while winning is important and all fans want to win when when you rank what what a fan wants from his team winning actually is is more of a luxury and i think in 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 south africa our guys kind of think that winning is the be all and end all whereas if you I mean, you mentioned the giants you mentioned you mentioned the yankees you mentioned the redskins i mean these teams the the cowboys i mean cowboys are synonymous almost with with the sport of football and i th- i think that's because the conversation that that is centered around Around the team in relation to the sports transcends success on the field. And I, th- I think that is, that is really the gist of the article is that if you can create a, a solid, a solid fan engagement and, and positive brand around your team, even when you're not winning, the fans will still come. And I, th- I think, I think it's quite interesting to, to look at SA cricket at the moment. I mean, I remember growing up that advert where Brian McMillan walked out and he swung his bat around and remember mm-hmm. he blew the wonders away and John C. Rhodes stood on a pyramid and, and caught a ball in the air and there was that advert where Wow, you are as old as me. <laughs> there was that there was that advert where, where the youngster was like, Oh but mom it's a day night game. Do you yeah. So there was there was a, there was such a cool vibe around around the protests and I'm sure we won a lot of games, but even if we weren't winning, people were very, very interested in our sport because the the conversation we had with our sport um and with our fans was 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 something more than than on-field success. I, m- I mentioned, um, I quote a, a, a very intelligent guy named uh, Professor Steve Guerra. He's currently a lecturer at Real Madrid. And um, he said that above all else, fans want the athletes to feel like they're a shepherd of the community. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, in, in South African sports are, are right now, are, are our athletes shepherds of our community? That's a great point you raised because, again, you look into the football teams, you just get it right. You get the guys who are season ticket holders forever and ever. Mm. Like, I look at cricket. Now, there's a team that you can see, Protea Fire, that whole campaign. They're trying hard. There was a supporters club there set up where you get this card and then you can load credits. So wherever you go to the ground, you get discounts on everything. Okay. But it doesn't, it doesn't engage. It doesn't hold. Like, I know there's no, it's more difficult for national teams, right? Because there's no home stadium. So it's not like you can go watch your team every week. You might watch them once a year, twice a year because of where they're playing. So that's more difficult. There's the challenge. But I agree with you. I don't see that happening with our teams here. You take it into Super Rugby, it's not great either, hey? I know the Lions are resurgent and they're trying to build a brand like that. Right. The Sharks had a moment, but they, I mean, no one goes to watch those games. They physically just don't go. And I think, I think one of the reasons why is because as soon as our teams don't, or, or rather their success dwindles and, and their on-field performance, you know, matches that. We, we lose interest. And, and for some reason, in South African sport, we kind of just feel entitled to victories. And I think that is a, a failure on, on, the, on, the marketing, um, on the marketing guys because if, if success is the only variable that, that you're interested in in terms of engaging your fans, 
then then that's a failure on, on the part of the marketers. Yeah, it really is. I think it's it's got to do with the whole. I mean, I often chat about this: the psyche of, of the SA sports fan, hugely fickle. Mm. A lot of the time, I've got to say, quite ignorant towards the greater scheme of things, and it's this entitlement to victory. It's like people will start the week going, "Oh, these guys are so cuck! I can't believe they're picking this guy." Blah blah blah, and then they win, and they go, "I can't believe they did. They lost again." But hang a second, you just spent five days dogging these guys how shit they are, yeah. but now you're upset they lost. Like, what's the theory behind that? I mean, there again, it shows that no one's really invested in these teams. Well, I've, it's it's quite, it's quite interesting about about that because because we feel so entitled to success. Uh, um, I think it was Mark Kiyohani from uh, from SA Rugby Magazine. He wrote an article once about why why that is the case, and he said that during our isolation, we didn't really have a, a measure in, on the international scene, so we thought beating our domestic teams was was something that we were kind of entitled to. So oh, okay. when we when we did come on the on the on the international scene, we expected to translate that dom- that dominance because we are South Africans and we are a lot better at sport than everyone else. And that has that obviously isn't the case. So I think that 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 sense of entitlement where where winning is is your brand. The Springboks are the best in the world. The Proteus have to be the best in the world. Bafana Bafana have to be the best in Africa. I think for, through a poor communication with our fans, our teams have kind of created an identity that it's impossible to live up to and if we judge the success of the brand based on the success of the team the brand is going to fail because it's, it's impossible for the team to win all the time that is actually such a wow i've never really thought of that it's like wow and then you, you really open a can of worms here like i look at sport totally different now the whole thing is like this success or nothing is such a limited way of doing something it's like pushing one product but you've got a line of 20 it is just so damning because your chances of being of isolating your your fan base are so good, especially now our teams aren't doing great. I, I can't actually think of a local team. Proteus is not so great. Springboks doldrums. Uh, Super Rugby our teams aren't great. Lions. I, honestly, I think I think it's I, the Lions. I think the Lions are, are, are the best, and I, it, it's it's possibly through a marketing campaign because they realised that when 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 they started engaging and we are Joburg's team and. Um, we're going to represent the people, and 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 we're not going to we, we're going to hold on to whatever tiny stars we have. I mean, Whiteley was was maybe our, our best, and we have held on to him. And you know, we're going to represent we're going to represent the city. Then they started doing well, and be, and because because they created an identity when they weren't successful around something that transcended success, it allowed fans to engage with them even when they even when they weren't doing well. And that's something I touched on in the article is that loyalty during uh, during the you know, poor results allows coaches and players to focus on the long term. Because if you if you are driven to succeed week in and week out, and that is your identity, it can put a lot of pressure on you and can force your your organization to make decisions that might be detrimental to long term success. So, creating an identity that that is is beyond what happens on the field allows you to kind of put in long term plans that can help you, you know, achieve success on the field and. Okay. So I, I, I essentially say that plastic fans is not a failure of, of the fans. It's a failure of the, of the organization and the team to create an identity that isn't about success. I mean, you talk about Man United fans, about how, how often they're just plastic fans and fair weather supporters. If that's true, that's a failure of Manchester United rather than the fickleness of fans. And yeah. likewise with Springboks and the Proteus. Well, I've got to say, I'm, I'm tired of being fed all this childish bullshit about one team, one nation. We play with our hearts. Right, right. And we play until we've made everyone proud. Like, whatever. I've had enough of that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a four-year-old looking for a superhero here. Right. I want a team that I can support, I can be proud of, not in like a national honor sense, because the guys actually give a shit. I want, that's my pride. Right. Caring and- about your results, but caring about who you are as well. Like, I just, I want a team to be cool. I want them to be something that I can tell my friends about. You want them to be cool, exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, and and also it it comes to a shared identity. I mean, we talk about Protea Fire, but does that really? Do you really feel that when when your captain is like, oh, you know, I'm not really sure if I want to carry on playing. I mean, exactly. Protea fail right there. I don't think enough has been been spoken about Abila videos. He he's he's the golden boy of SA cricket. But geez, could you, could you imagine our Springbok captain was like, oh, I'm not too sure if if I if I'm really keen during a oh. during such a tough period. Really, we, we got the All Blacks coming up, but I've really got to concentrate on Super Rugby next year. Exactly, or or even um, I'm worrying <laughs> about playing for Toulon, which is essentially what the the, the IPL is, isn't it? So, yeah. so that whole conversation that, that with the fan needs to be from top to bottom. It needs to be for the people who are rolling out the logo, people who are making the advert, from the captain giving a press conference. It's all, fan engagement is all about having a conversation, and 
you can only have that conversation once you realize what your fa- a what your fans want and what sort of identity you want to create around your organization. Yeah, and this shouldn't be given to some second-year intern who's going to just come up with a couple of snaggy headlines and you've got a nice brochure with like deep-edged images. Who are the other teams in the world that really kind of impressed you on this front? I mean, Black Box is mentioning here uh, Cricket Australia have been doing so well, All Blacks, of course. Well, I, yeah, All Blacks are probably the best. I mean, when you, when you look at their, their ad campaign or marketing campaign, I should say, leading up to the World Cup, I mean, the All Blacks are rugby. They are the World Cup. And Yeah, well, it goes back to what you said about those Cowboys. They're right. obviously winning, but they seem to embody what football is all about. Right. So, so I, and, and one that's quite interesting, maybe maybe I, I didn't know until I did, started doing some research on it, was the Seattle Seahawks. And they kind of made popular the, the 12th man theory, which obviously the, the, the Springboks copied, um, what was it, in 2009 with, with Player 23. But in 2003, the Seahawks... <laughs> was that late in your copy? Yeah, well... <laughs> Maybe just a, a modification of it. Synergy of ideas. Sure, sure. So in 2003, <laughs> the Seahawks had never been to the Super Bowl. They'd never been um, conference champions. But at the start of 2003, they came up with this idea of being the 12th man and, and how our fans are going to be the 12th man and how they really embodied the the spirit of Seattle and the surrounding areas. And since then, they've been to three Super Bowls. They've, they've won one. They've been uh, division, uh, conference champions seven times. So... As I said, success is so multifaceted, but it'd be, it would be negligent to ignore the off-field marketing campaign and how they created an identity and how they translated into success on the field for, for the Seahawks. Now, Dan, before we get run out of time again, um, sorry, Duncan, if you just call Sia, I know his love life's more important, but we need to take a photo there. Um, on an individual campaign sort of basis, do you think it's also, there's a lot of this going into that if you look at tennis players, golfers, F1 people? Because more, I think more so teams. I mean, I guess I guess the brand Roger Federer has created a brand around around him. But I think I think this is more to do with the team because it's it's easier to feel a national pride in a team than you you want you want your your countrymen to do well as individuals. Yeah, sure. It's definitely a lesser scale here. Yeah. But I mean, taking those attributes around about having like that engagement and people feel involved in your process. Mm. Yeah, you know, are there. Like if you look at Ronaldo, what he does, you know, all these guys have their own little logos, right? Like right. CR7 and sure, even Andy sure. Murray's got some stupid logo. <laughs> I reckon there's someone pitching ideas to these guys. Sure. But like social media gives them the chance to interact with their people and create that sort of moment. So even if they're not playing so well, it's like, you know, missed the cut this week, whatever. Fans are still saying, love you, go get them. I mean, I, I think it's, it's something worth acknowledging as well. Definitely. I, I, when it comes to fan engagement, social media is such a double-edged sword because there's never been a better a better platform for a fan to engage with his team or with a manager. With I mean, you can right now we can tweet David Villiers and let him know what we think about that 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 interview. Yeah, I'm sure he'll read it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, retweet it. But also, it, it's that's positive and that's negative, right? So when things are doing well, you know, praise floods in. It's when things are going badly that you kind of need a, need that that really strong identity because when results aren't going your way. You need something else to be positive. You, the Springboks, okay, we didn't win the World Cup, but we still represent the nation, or we, or we still, you guys are still player twenty three, or what is it, twenty four now with the extra man on the bench. Whatever the case may be, having a positive identity allows you to kind of take a, a step back away from the success and and realize why why are you a fan? Why do you watch the Why do you watch the sport? Why do you feel that we play for you? Are we the shepherd of of, of this community? Yeah, fan engagement and positive brand equity. I mean, apart from all the financials, because more fans equals more more revenue. It, it 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 alleviates so much pressure from from these athletes that tells them success isn't everything. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe that's idealistic. I'm not sure. No, no, I totally agree with you. It's just it's it's a great topic, and it's one thing you can actually use over and over. I mean, if you just look at sport, because you look at sport differently as you do 20 years ago, and mm. these are all actual tangibles you have to meet. Now, what do you think about T20 teams doing more locally, internationally? I mean, here's, if you look at all the more traditional sports that we as colonial countries, so to speak, mm. tap on, T20 is the one that's going the way of the American sports. But are they really doing enough or is it just kind of superficial stuff? You, you mean, well, I, I think I think T20 is a, a great example of how a positive brand identity is bringing more fans okay you don't like cricket because it's long and boring we're the new young sport you're going to love us because we're not traditional cricket so mm. that yeah sure it's an exciting product but but the marketing around it um is, is so exciting for for young people and for people that aren't necessarily traditional cricket fans where south african cricket 
will never be able to compete with India and Australia and, and England when they decide to take it seriously is our weak rand. When we're never going to be able to buy the best players. Yeah, so I see. In, in order, in order for our identity to, and, and our domestic T20 league to be taken seriously, a, a completely new rethink needs to happen. And, and, and a traditional way, calling it the Ram Slam and having cheerleaders and all the rest, that's, that's obviously not gonna, it, it, it kind of, it kind of smacks of a cheap imitation of, of the bigger productions in Australia and India. So for, for T20 crickets in South Africa to be seen as something enticing, a, a, a unique approach and a unique Identity around the brand needs to be thought of, and okay. your guess is as good as mine. We need to meet. We're going to pitch CSA something. Sure, this Proteafire thing has been extinguished now. Right, we need to actually have a tangible that talks to people and has our own standard. Right. I've got an idea. Let's talk about this afterwards. Uh, if you want to catch more of Dan's writing, conquersport.com. That's where you need to look at right now. There's a blog section every week. He puts together these things. Really nice long reads, and uh, they'll definitely give you a great understanding of where sport is as a whole. Uh, Dan, Twitter, where, they, where can they find you? Uh, at Conquersport, C-O-N-Q-A-S-P-R-R-T, O-R-T, sorry, sport. We've also got a Facebook page that you can check us out on, and LinkedIn, if that's your thing. And I'm on Twitter at Daniel Gallen. Okay, fantastic. And uh, yeah, that kind of wraps up for this week. But for the rest of the week, or if you're just looking for other sporting reads, go on to thebounce.co.za. This, hence the reason for the name of the show being The Bounce Show. Big week last week, lots of uh, insightful articles, and this week will be exactly the same, really. There's so much to talk about right now because tournaments are getting started. There's some rumblings in and around other sports. Things are changing. And then there's some things that are just plain terrible and need to be addressed. So you can catch all of that on thebounce.co.za. Catch me at Follow the Bounce on Twitter and right here again next week, either listening live on com or catch the podcast uh, either on com or the Bounce of Seattle today. Wow, I really should get a professional voice of it, artist to do all that technical stuff at the end. I shall take uh, any applications. Otherwise, email me, Ben, at the Bounce of Seattle today if there's something you want me to talk about during the show or any requests for guests. Um, I have obviously people that I've used before in interview senses and for content. But if there's someone that you really like, then go ahead and please feel free to be joining the show at any stage. Dan, thanks so much. Catch you next week. This is CliffCentral.com.